0: is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together, and we've got some things to cover. In a few moments, we'll talk with some great guests. Felipe Coelho is a, um, is a professor down in the Dominican Republic. He is also one of the early backers of Donald Trump back in 2015, 2016, and we'll get a perspective from him both on how Trump uh, turned out, and what he thought, and also what's happening in Latin America and South America. He, of course, Wrote a book with uh, Dr. Ted Malik, who's often on the program, and so we will uh, visit with him. We'll also visit, excuse me, with a new guest, Chris Martin, no relation, who is one of the senior people at a, at a group called America Rising. America Rising is a pack that does uh, what they call is, uh, full transparency. Upon all of the people, uh, and the other party, the Democrat Party. And a very interesting group. They're very clever and very smart. America Rising. So you want to listen to him. I've never had him on the show. I'm real interested to see what uh, they're saying is going on. Um, and we will get to that. But let me, uh, you know, I will wrap things up in the, at the end of the show, uh, we'll, we'll cover some things. But let me, let me just lay out for you. And, um, I, I have had people ask me more, um, specifically to walk through this. And so let me do it. Let me get, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through what I call the narrative machine. The narrative machine. And I'm going to give you an example. And the example is the uh, the January 6th events at the Capitol in Washington, D.C. OK, so here is what the narrative machine is. The narrative machine is the combination of big tech, big media and big government to take a, a set of facts and fashion them into a, a truth that is then packaged up and sold to the American public forced upon the American public. So now walk, walk back with me again. The narrative machine is big tech. That's everything from Facebook and Twitter and the Internet in general, plus big media, which includes, you know, the cable news as well as the, uh, the radio and, and television, uh, not just cable, but um, but main, you know, the um, network news, all those, and then big government. And so let's look at an example January 6th happened. And if you remember, January 6th, very cold day. Donald Trump gave a speech at the Ellipse in front of the White House. And what happened very quickly was the narrative machine kicked in. Big tech and big media started talking about how it was an insurrection. They used this particular word. And then the U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia and the other law enforcement started saying it's an insurrection. Then they added the word armed insurrection. And by the afternoon, that afternoon, you wouldn't know if you weren't around. I was there. I mean, I was down in, in Washington, D.C. at my office a few blocks from the Capitol. And what they said next was the mayor said, we must have a curfew. We're putting a curfew. Because they were so worried about it. And then immediately after big government kicks in, Nancy Pelosi wraps the Capitol in double uh, barbed wire fences. Extraordinary looking. And the the drumbeat began, the narrative machine began to to manage what certain facts were and certain details and fashion it into a truth that was told to the American people. So what were the facts? Well, somebody did die. In fact, one woman died in the Capitol that day, and three or four, maybe four other people died in the few days after. And so this was an armed insurrection. They kept saying armed insurrection, armed insurrection, and then murderous, armed insurrection, murderous. And so there was a detail. There was someone killed, shot by a policeman. We still don't really know the details. We don't know who the shooter was. It was a law enforcement guy. We don't know anything about that. The other deaths, though, were natural causes, all of them. But we didn't know that, including one law enforcement officer who died two days later of, 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 uh, of natural causes, but who was said at the time to have been hit with a fire extinguisher by one of the protesters. So it was murder. Only two, two months later did we find out that he died of natural causes. He was never hit with a fire extinguisher. But that was the narrative. The narrative machine went to overdrive. The, the images from, the, uh, from cable news of the Capitol with people all you know swarming all around it. Powerful images, and then they had snapshots they kept showing of the that dude with his with some sort of weird head, headdress on and tattoos and all these strange looking people they didn 't show the benign looking people they just showed strange looking people and then it in kicked the government. The big government. So the narrative machine is big media and big tech. They were doing their job. They're throwing big t- big tech is, is is tossing anyone who is talking about this. They're throwing them off of social media. Donald Trump is off social media. Mike Flynn is off social media. All these people are off social media. But then big government kicks in, and they start sweeping up people, arresting them. Because why? Because the narrative was insurrection. The narrative was murderous insurrection, and they're sweeping people up. Left and right and talking about how bad this was, how problematic it was, how how big the problem was. And and so it's building on you can see how it builds together so that by the time you're a week or two out from January 6, you've got arrests of people. Nobody's really seeing any details. They're just being fed the facts for the narrative and and being told what the truth is. But the truth is very different. The truth is very different than what was played out, what was the narrative machine was doing. And only over time did you see people starting to break the narrative, break the narrative machine down. And you had to have things like, I said, the autopsy of uh, Officer Sitnik. He didn't die from a a, a fire extinguisher. There was nobody. I don't think there's been anybody charged yet that I've seen with violence against law enforcement. I didn't see that. There could have been. And there was, they, they, there, was no, um, there was no major uh, theft of anything. I think someone took a laptop, but they got it back. I think that was the extent of it. So there's a the narrative machine. And here's what the key part of it is. Over time, you say it over and over again, and then you never go back and correct it. Even when the facts go the other way, you just ignore the facts. And you, you just kind of move past them. And so you I, you see it all the time now. People will say the insurrection on January 6th. Now, I want to tell you again, I, w- I would just tell you the facts. I'm not an impartial observer, right? I was, I have my own opinion on everything, but I was at the ellipse for the president's speech. It was a really boring speech. It was really cold. Nobody was particularly excited. The president was sort of tired and and, and worn out. And then when you walked up the streets of DC, it sort of felt like an ending, There wasn't a, I mean, there was no insurrection. Uh, There was no real action that made me say, oh my gosh. In fact, it was so kind of blah that I walked past the Capitol and went home, went to my office because I thought this is just a blah thing and people are kind of down. It's kind of an ending point. But that's what, it didn't matter what the reality was. What mattered was especially the images. If you can wrap the Capitol in two layers of barbed wire and put thousands of National Guard and say, oh, this is something we're really people. The images are are seared in people's minds that Washington, D.C. was somehow under assault from from this uh, this crazy insurrection. And it's just not true. But that narrative machine is so powerful that narrative machine has been so successful at framing. And this is just one example. You know, forget, now for a moment, put it out of your head and say, what's the other examples that I never knew to ask? You know, I, I, w- w- what are the other examples I never knew to bring up? I mean, the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, obviously, the fine people hoax, the Charlottesville hoax. You know, there's a couple other ones. And then the 2020 election. I don't even know. What happened at the election? But at this point, you can't trust the narrative machine. I mean, they've been so dishonorable and disreputable and so out of hand. You just can't trust them, right? It changes, it, it changes entirely how you think about what's happening in the, in the, in the country and, and what it, it changes how you think about what is, you know, what is happening and what it means and what the truth is. And so the only consolation now is that maybe the people have have awakened to the power of the narrative machine. And if they do, they will say, what can we do about it? Now, one thing, as I've told you before, is find better sources of of what's happening, information. But that's kind of hard because Fox News, even though they're pretty good, they're a little bit better. Newsmax, One America News, they're all sort of chasing their their, um, chasing, you know, because it's just so dominant by the big tech and by the big media, and by the big government. And it really is, uh, it should be frightening to you. I, I just, again, I, want, I, I don't want people to be worried, but I want you to be real about it. We are facing a, 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 an opponent that not only has terrible ideas that are bad for the country, which I really believe, that's, a, that's an opinion. I think the left right now has terrible policies that are bad for the country. But I also think now they have at their beck and call the narrative machine. And I'm not sure how anybody beats that. It's a real challenge. All right, we got to take a break. We'll come back and talk with uh, 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 Felipe Coelho and also uh, Chris Martin. We'll get an update on all that's going on, and I will wrap things up later. I'll talk a little bit about Virginia and um, especially New York mayor's race. So we'll be back in a moment. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. Welcome back, welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. It's a great privilege uh, we have had on our old friend Ted Malick a bunch of times, Dr. Ted Malick. Well, his book last year, two years ago now, Trump's World, was co-written with a man named Felipe Coelho. And Felipe is a, a professor of uh, public policy at the graduate level. He's also was an early, uh, helped with the Trump transition, did a whole bunch of different stuff. And he is uh, with us now and joined us actually from his he's a, a teaching down in the Dominican Republic at the uh, Pontifical University. Down there, welcome, uh, sir. How are you?
0: Great to hear from you again, Ed. Uh, working well, and gr- out of, uh, the Trump campaign in 2016 was one of the great privileges of my life. I was uh, 25 years old at the time, and of course, <laughs> uh, right after that, transition team and uh, uh, long career. Let's hope in uh, public policy. <laughs>
1: Well, and let me let me ask you about that experience. So you're a young guy jumping on the campaign where a lot of people were either waiting and seeing, you know, and and, and how was that part of it? I mean, in other words, somebody has some some credentials and some uh, energy and you come in there. Um, Tell me about that. Tell me why you you jumped in there.
0: Well, so I was actually up in New York already um, organizing for the New York GOP. And um, mm-hmm. so there is a, a substantial Dominican community up in uh, northern Manhattan and the Bronx, about two million Dominican-Americans uh, in total. Not all of them can vote, but uh, there is uh, enough of a churn right. already uh, that uh, it is a constituency. And so we have the, uh, the first Dominican-American congressman uh, in 16, uh, his name is uh, Adriano Espaillat, obviously a Democrat. Uh, one of the missions mm-hmm. is to uh, flip that uh, Dominican vote to the Republicans where it belongs. Um, and, uh, so, uh, what's the story? Manafort, Paul Manafort had just been fired. And, um, so they were, they brought in Kellyanne Conway and Steve Bannon and David Bossy. And so I came mm-hmm. in as uh, one of the understudies for that new group of, uh, senior executives, um, into the policy shop. And, uh, yeah, the rest is history. We won, didn't we? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so, and, and how, and looking the campaign. Yeah, exactly. That's right. So looking back on this now, I'm looking at, uh, again, we're talking with uh, Felipe Coelho, who's a professor now of uh, public policy down at the Dominican Republic and, uh, and also, uh, writes quite a bit and has written in the past, wrote a book again with Dr. Ted Malik, uh, available on, uh, on anywhere you get books. Uh, but also you wrote, I, I was looking back at some of your writings in, uh, you know, in different, uh, places. A column one was, uh, a defense of Donald Trump's, uh, foreign policy chops. And that was, uh, yeah. that was one that was, uh, a, so, but before, how do you think it turned out in terms of in terms of foreign policy? One of your you know expertise and that piece you wrote uh, was, um, I guess, February of 2016. So you're you're writing there. How do you think it turned out in his four years in terms of foreign policy? Well, I, I gotta
0: say it. Um, there's definitely some disappointments, um, but I think the uh, one of the better things that can be said for the four years of the Trump administration, which I did not join, uh, much like Ted, I. Uh, remain the outside friend um the i think the best thing that i can say is that we did move the overton window in the direction of the america first uh pro nation state right policy as a general philosophy Um, we made some serious gains in europe ted and i were definitely part of that and i gotta say with uh the new bipartisan consensus surrounding the threat coming from China, Um, a certain amount of trade things, the withdrawal from Afghanistan. You know, we even brought the Democrats along, and there is something to be said for that.
1: Well, and I, I think that that I think just on that one uh, alone, if you just pull back and say to yourself five years ago, I was on the Republican National Committee uh, from 2013 through 2015. And and you, you didn't get um, you, we didn't have a clear understanding of, of the communist Chinese regime. You know, I mean, if there's one thing the president sort of President Trump did was change our whole understanding of what, what the Chinese were doing. I mean, that alone was almost a seismic shift. That, and Joe Biden has sort of changed a little bit on it, um, but uh, not really not much. Uh, how, how do you Felipe how does the immigration issue you know there's some there's some recent data out in the last couple of days showing that there were more people of color uh, an increase in people of color voting for uh, Trump over 2016 and and I don't know if that's anecdotal or not I didn't see what the source was but uh, how, how does the, how did the immigration issue cut as, a, as a, how Trump handled it and what's happening in this country now
0: so this is actually my uh, my wheelhouse. Uh, I am technically speaking uh, an expert in immigration policy more than anything else. And uh, mm-hmm. so what Ted and I have in common is that we're both uh, defectors from the globalist camp. So I was with the UN and the European Union before uh, coming into the Trump campaign and uh, speaking my mind about a certain things that you've alluded to in uh, my publishing record. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so the reaction against... Um, the specifically the Merkel policy of um, allowing, uh, I think the last count is about 2 million refugees from the Middle East, and that includes Afghanistan, that includes Iraq, that includes Syria, um, uh, definitely a large number coming north from Africa as well. Um, mm-hmm. That issue has been transposed almost ipso facto into the um, into the American political system with the Mexican border and how porous that has become. And with the uh, Democratic Party, of course, encouraging uh, more and more uh, numbers to come in illegally. Now, as Trump said, there's no problem if you come in legally, if your paperwork is in order. It's, It's actually a funny thing. And this is where public policy training comes in handy. So to apply for an American visa, nobody has a right to it. You must demonstrate that you Uh, have all the qualifications there's an english test and a bunch of other details which you don't need necessarily to know but you must demonstrate to the consulate that it's giving you a visa that you qualify under the rules that america has and so as long as you play by the rules nobody has any problem with that a large amount of the republican party uh agrees with that position and so when it comes to these uh Uh, the the places that you're talking about where we made historic gains with um, working-class minority voters, Um, the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, a lot of these uh, uh, inner California towns where... um, And, and I mean, the the logic, the economic logic of it, Ed, is that um, you pull back the ladder. So even if you are an illegal, it is in your economic interest for less people to come because you're already across the line and the subsequent increase in the wage level is going to benefit you. Of course, if you're also legal, then you are doubly benefiting from that restriction of the labor supply because your wages are going up. And that's what we saw in the four years of the Trump administration. We saw a general increase in the wage level, something we hadn't seen in 40 years before Trump was elected, and which was not just good for these voters which we flipped it was good for all of america
1: Mm -hmm. and now the border is just a chaos right so now it's chaos in 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 south latin america and south america what's the how how does the message go forth is it you know it it was clear that biden was saying come i mean he was based president biden was basically saying you know we we, you know please come and and then he backed off of that but what is it what's it really like in in latin america right now
0: well, I'll tell you the, uh, the, the narrative in the United States is that uh, this is a, a border problem, but every town in America is a border town right now, especially considering that um, various charities uh, from Catholic charities, which I would, uh, in theory, belong to uh, all the way across to secular uh, activists like uh, the Soros Open Society Foundations and that kind of thing, are actively, after right. they cross into the, um, into the United States, they are flown on uh, these uh, charities, dimes, into uh, towns all across America. And so every town is a border town right now, um, As to mm-hmm. the uh, the perception from Latin America, I mean, so this is where the, um, the details really count. So in the Dominican Republic, for example, we have a border with Haiti. Now Haiti, God bless them, very undeveloped country, um, levels of poverty not seen anywhere else in uh, this hemisphere, at least. Um, and so you get, uh, you know, the, the the Dominican government, the previous one and the new one, which uh, was inaugurated uh, what six, seven months ago, uh, is in the process of building a border wall. So that should tell you something about what the uh, <laughs> what the yeah. actual perception, right? Very much counter to the uh, accepted narrative in um, mm. in the United States and in Europe, in fact. Now I would add to that one mm. more thing, Ed, which is that. Um, That issue, and for example, the China issue. So, the Dominican Republic, I think it was last year or the year before that, uh, broke off relations with Taiwan, right? So that they could Mm -hmm. uh, accept the People's Republic of China, right? You can't have both, according to Beijing. Um, Right. So, they broke off relations with Taiwan. And what you saw there, apart from a huge uh, diplomatic gaffe of uh, kicking out Taiwan's ambassador with 72 hours notice, which is uh, a damn shame, and I do uh, ask for the uh, forgiveness of the Taiwanese people for that one. Um, Mm -hmm. You're seeing, in the United States, the Dominican diaspora, which is already sort of primed to be a uh, Republican voter because of the small business uh, ownership rate, extremely high among legal immigrants uh, of uh, this sort of extraction. Um, the same thing could be said about uh, this uh, this immigration issue. So Adriano Espallat, for example, that first Dominican congressman, his citizenship right. comes from the amnesty that the Reagan uh, administration gave out back in the 80s, mm-hmm. and how right. he ends up uh, as a Democrat activist is, I think, a <laughs> manner of some uh, uh, speculation which uh, we should try and... Uh, counter as <laughs> yeah. the Republican Party Yeah.
1: huh well it is uh, It's uh, it's fascinating and you're right at the center of it I don't know if there's anybody more, more better position than where you are, we've got to run unfortunately uh, Felipe Coelho, uh, the author uh, with uh, Ted Malik of the book Trump's World also writes uh, pretty frequently now teaches the youth, uh, come back again Felipe, thanks for the time definitely, uh, thanks a lot alright, we'll take a break everybody, be right back Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report, back in a moment Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro America Report. Our next guest, this is really fun. There's people that do research and figure out and analyze. You can either listen to my show and you can hear the research and the a- analysis, but then there's other people that dig even deeper. And over at America Rising, it's an organization that started to kind of, I don't know, it's a, it's a pack, but it's really fact checking. It's been around almost, uh, almost 10 years. I don't know, eight or nine years and, uh, fact checking and digging through. Uh, it's a Republican organization and so it's, aimed at the Democrats. And it's um, boy, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of good targets right now. And one of the uh, one of the key people there is named Chris Martin. He's got a great name. And uh, he's, I think, the uh, deputy executive director, one of the key people. And I welcome you on, Chris, and ask you, you know, I, this story I talked about it in my open a little bit. But um, the April jobs report. You know, quote, far below expectations, end quote, is what everybody's saying. Uh, But now the scrambling since Friday, last Friday, has been to explain it. And uh, so, first of all, tell us about that. Tell us about America Rising and welcome to the program.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, America Rising has been around since 2012. Uh, We wake up every day and just try to figure out how we can hold Democrats accountable. Um, So, yeah, let's (laughs) talk about the Stable Jobs Report. So let's provide you know some context. Um this this report was a business. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris inherited an economy that was rebounding. Uh think you know, places were starting to open back up, rehiring workers, and everything they've done since taking office has hindered that progress. Uh the Dow Jones estimate was that there would be a million new jobs uh created in April and that the unemployment rate would be around five point eight percent. Uh instead there were only two hundred and sixty six thousand jobs added and the unemployment rate actually went up to six point one percent. So I think the issue here is that federal unemployment benefits are incentivizing people to stay dependent on government rather than get back to work. And that's kind of what Joe Biden tried to talk about today. They looked at this and they saw the opposite. They saw this as a reason to double down on those big government policies that are keeping people out of the workforce.
1: We're talking with Chris Martin. And let me just make sure people know you can go over to AmericaRisingPAC.org and you'll see all this research. But I thought the the president, President Biden had to answer a question on this. Or I don't know, did he come out just to give this speech? He was basically since last Friday when these jobs numbers came out, basically everybody. Even Democrats are saying, uh uh-oh, if you give people money, they're not going to go to work. You know, when it's like the old welfare to work. Back when that was tried, everyone said, oh, this is going to be terrible for, for people that were in a tough spot. No, it turns out when you get pushed, most of the people will go back to work. So that started to percolate on Friday when these numbers came out. And by... I don't know. Midday on Monday, uh, Biden is addressing the the uh, the the I guess the press corps or the nation. I don't know. Trying to explain it away. What, what was your what was your? Did they know they've got a problem. I guess is that what's that was that what that means? Yeah, yeah. I think they're finally
2: realizing what a problem this is. As there was time for this news to percolate over the weekend, uh, and you saw Democrats like Maggie Hassan and others come out and start to address this and hear from their constituents who are going to town halls and saying like. We can't find workers. There's not a worker shortage. They just don't want to come back to work when the federal government is providing these massive unemployment benefits uh, for people who are unemployed. And you know the level of long-term unemployment, which is folks who are unemployed for more than 27 weeks, has gone up. That's a major indication that these that these enhanced unemployment benefits are distorting the labor market and keeping people out of the workforce. And here's one interesting fact. People who made $32,000 last year are making more money in unemployment benefits now than they were at their old job. And it's hard to blame them for not wanting to go back when that's the case.
1: Well, that's it. And that's that's the that's the um, that's the issue. And I, actually, I think it's much more potent than people realize politically. You know, uh, I, I don't know how closely you would follow him because he's he's he is a I guess he's a Democrat. But Mickey Kaus, who has been a guest on the show, he, he tweets over at, at Kaus Mickey. And he's his. But where he departs from the Democrat, uh, a couple places that, you know, Democrat uh, um, kind of viewpoint is on immigration, one on the power of the unions, he's objects to it. And then also on welfare. It's powerful. I mean, it, it, American people don't want to see us go back to where people are getting free money. You remember, Reagan won. In large part because he talked in the in the Carter era about welfare queens it may sound controversial now that term, but he's talking about these people that get paid a lot of money to stay on welfare and and Americans rejected that. I mean I think they really have a problem. What's the um? what's the reality though it, 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 I don't know if you know this one what, what, the of the when is when will that money run out? Are people going to be able to stay this way uh, for a while? Is that what the problem is? Well, the the current um, enhanced unemployment benefits run out, I believe, in September.
2: Um, but I think this okay. problem goes a lot deeper. It's more about the philosophy that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have brought into the White House. The philosophy that we need more people hooked on government benefits and, and dependent on the government rather than in the workforce creating and, and innovating and rebuilding our economy. And, you know, one other issue that kind of ties into this that's very closely related uh, to the number of people who are not going back in the workforce, is schools being reopened. You know, 1.5 million uh, American mothers have fallen out of the workforce since the pandemic hit. And, you know, Democrats by and large have tried to keep schools closed and keep kids out of the classroom, even though there's no science to back that up. And now we're seeing, you know, it's hard for a mom or a dad, especially a single parent, to go back to the office when their kid can't go back to school yet. So you've got a lot of different issues where Democrats are on the wrong side of things. And we're seeing in local elections like the one we just had down in Texas, where these local officials, the school board officials are getting thrown out uh, because they don't support reopening schools when there's no science to say that they shouldn't.
1: Well, and, you know, the thing that the thing that is tough about this is that for decades, some of us have said the teachers unions have a, you know, a a disproportionate effect on the schools. You know, they run candidates and then the candidates are all favorable to the school board at best. I mean, excuse me, school teachers unions. If I misspoke, school teachers unions. The question is. Do do you see any? Um, uh, tell me more about the evidence that people recognize who the problem is. I mean, one of my concerns is somewhere down, I think, in Texas, they they ran against the critical race theory. They got in and then they were like, yeah, we're going to change that. And then their next move was talking about pay increases for teachers. Now, my point is, that's part of the teachers unions talking point is, you know, the, in, in other words, the real enemy here is not only critical race theory. In my opinion, it's the teachers unions. Are people getting that?
2: Well, look, my mom is a retired public school teacher. She you know, taught school down in Florida for 32 years. And what I can tell you is teachers don't want to teach this critical race theory stuff. They don't want to teach kids that America is inherently a racist country. Not only is that not true, it's also just a poisonous ideology to push on kids. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think on the school issue, we've seen evidence. There were reports in New York Post last week where they found emails through FOIA requests. That's Freedom of Information Act requests where the teachers union, AFT, was actually talking to the Biden administration and telling them, you know, you should keep schools closed. There are actual communications about this. So there's no secret that the, the big teachers unions are influencing policy decisions being made by the Biden administration. And then you compound that with the fact that they've actually taken a lot of folks who worked at those teachers unions and put them in, you know, these big government jobs in in the federal government so from the top down um i think that there's no question that teachers unions are are influencing the policy decisions of this white house and that's why you see them not really pushing to reopen schools to the degree that parents want them to
1: uh we're, we're talking with chris martin before, no, uh, politically uh, she, that's good please keep going
2: Oh, you mentioned before the political ramifications of that. I mean, we're seeing that at the local level. I think Democrats are going to get absolutely wiped out in the midterm elections if they keep pushing this the school closure issue and these enhanced unemployment benefits that are really just decimating the American workforce.
1: Uh, We're talking again with uh, uh, Chris Martin, who's one of the uh, key people over at America Rising. Go to org to find out more. Um, One last uh, 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 comment on this or question, get your thoughts on Um, the the Biden, you you know, America Rising has a reputation for doing research, putting videos together, transparency of Democrats, digging, digging, digging. And now we have a, a Democrat in the White House where... You know, you don't get him on camera. Very, not very much. You don't get him taking questions. Not very much. You don't get Kamala Harris, who's supposed to be in charge of the border, for example. She She's not on camera either. I mean, you know, I give him credit in this sense. They're not letting anybody do anything. They're just managing all the messaging. And with the aid of the media and big tech, it's pretty darn effective right now.
2: Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, the mainstream media is really not putting a lot of pressure on the Biden administration to put Joe Biden out there. And look, you remember this. We saw it during the campaign. I mean, he was holding one event every couple of weeks, whereas, you know, President yeah. Trump was doing events constantly. Uh, so, the, right. you know, the comparison, the contrast there was pretty crazy. But now that he's become president, we were told throughout the campaign, oh, it'll pick up once the, the pandemic starts to wind down and he takes office, etc. Well, the exact opposite has happened. We're not seeing Joe Biden holding briefings on a regular basis. When we watch these press briefings with his team, they just stonewall the press. And then, of course, uh, Vice President Harris, who's put in charge of the border crisis, what, over two months ago at this point, hasn't held a single press conference about the border, hasn't gone to the border herself. I mean, this, the White House team is nowhere to be found. And meanwhile, we have real issues across this country.
1: Yeah. All right, Chris, Martin, go, guys, go over excuse me, .org, America americarising, lots of information there. Thank you, Chris, for the time. I'm run out of time, and uh, we'll have you back on again. It's uh, interesting stuff and, and very helpful, especially talking about that jobs report. So uh, we'll have you back on again. Thank you.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Have a good one. All right, we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report back in a moment.
2: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. A daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin.
1: Well, that didn't take long, did it? It only took a matter of weeks of the Biden presidency before our southern border was overwhelmed by massive hordes of illegal aliens from all over Central America and the world. This was no accident. These hordes were invited to invade our country by the weak, inept policies of President Joe Biden, in an effort to drum up new Democratic voters once a foolish path to citizenship is passed through our Congress. However, this immigration crisis is far more than just a political crisis. It's a humanitarian crisis of the highest order. Why? Because those traveling across our border on foot are a sea of destitute children, which stretches far into the southern horizon. In a recent insider interview between an anonymous Border Patrol agent and Project Veritas founder James O'Keefe, the agent revealed that his worst fear is seeing dead children abandoned in the desert. Even before Biden's border surge, the agent had personally witnessed scenes of horror at the border as illegal aliens are left to die by their smugglers. These tragedies are not only affecting those who travel on foot. Horrific car crashes are being caused by the smuggling of illegal aliens in vans. A mere 30 miles from the Mexican border, a high-speed red pickup truck caught the eye of the Texas Highway Patrol which then instructed the driver to pull over. An American would likely slow down and obey the police officer, but not a truck stuffed to the hilt with illegal aliens. The driver stepped on the gas, accelerating to even higher speeds, and then tragically crashed head-on into an oncoming car containing an innocent American woman and a young child. Eight of the nine illegals crammed into the red pickup truck were killed instantly, while the law-abiding American victims in the struck vehicle were rushed for emergency treatment at a nearby hospital. Hundreds of millions of dollars are being paid to smugglers who import illegal aliens into our country. And though the effect on our welfare system and our elections is tragic and unfair, every American's heart should break for the lives lost in the dangerous human smuggling trade. For the sake of those victims, both American and foreign, President Biden must immediately secure our southern border.
2: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders, but Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. We encourage you to bookmark phyllisschlafly.com and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a pro America report. Hey, I wanted to talk to you about, uh, we had Felipe Cuelo on the show uh, earlier and he got cut off. We finished up. We're talking too much. He was telling me off the air. He's got a buddy of his who is running for um, mayor of New York, Republican. His name is Fernando Mateo and he's a businessman. He's fought for the taxi drivers and the bodega owners. He's a, he is a, um, he's pro police and you know what? I wonder if this is not a year where somebody like him, I think he's Dominican originally. His family may be Dominican uh, way back. His, I'll put his Twitter handle up. But um looks like a great disruptor. And if there was ever, yeah, there it is, uh, Mateo the Mayor, at Mateo the Mayor, is his uh, uh, website on Twitter. Um, so check him out. Check him out. It's, it's kind of cool. Uh, who knows? Uh, at this point, uh, New York's gone so bonkers that you, know, you wonder if he can ever come back. But... If there was ever a year where people are looking up and saying, I'm tired of de Blasio, I'm tired of the schools, I'm tired of gutting our our cops, uh, this could be the year. This could be the year. So check out Mateo, uh, excuse me, Fernando Mateo, and see what you think. And uh, I think there'll be some places where we we see things that we haven't seen before in terms of uh, where the politicians are. And maybe New York is one of them because, holy cow. It has to be said that they need some changes. They need some changes. It is um it is really, really uh, really gotten bad in New York. You wonder, frankly, if you're gonna if you're gonna find that uh that people are um going to uh going to um uh, like like in California, um, you know, want to turn from de Blasio to somebody else. Probably in New York, it means that they elect a Democrat. But uh, Fernando Mateo looks pretty cool. And uh, Felipe Coelho tells me to take a look. I'm going to do it, and I did it. It looks pretty cool. And uh, again, pro-gun, excuse me, pro-cops is probably the most important thing you could do up in New York right now. So uh, check out uh, uh, this man, Fernando Mateo, and see what you think. Uh, that's my tip for you. We're spreading out all over the place and giving people a look in um, in all the places where, uh, even places that, of course, New York, that's a big job. So whoever has that job is a um, is a monstrously important person uh, in terms of America, American politics and American leadership. So, all right, one last thing before we run out of time. I'm going to get back to this tomorrow. There is a crazy situation developing where the census is not matching up with the number of voters in the fall. Now, think about that. They say that 154 million people, um, the, the, according to the census, the number of people voting in 2020 was 154 million. But official results place the number of ballots at 158. What does that mean? This is again. It, it could be nothing. It could just be an anomaly. Nobody really. Could, nobody's explained to me yet. But it feels like we're having a lot of anomalies, right? That don't make sense. That uh, that that change the way you uh, you you look at this and go, what? How can that be? Right. They've got these they've got this couple of um, um, audits going on up in Antrim County in uh, a, a one in Antrim. I think they're looking at the machines also in Maricopa. And people are just saying, huh? And now there's four million extra votes seem to be uh, uh, voted. I mean, we, we got to get some answers, don't we? At this point, it's becoming not just a it's not it's not just a um, um we wish somebody else won. It's the system looks broken. It, it, it at least looks like it's so uh, poorly run, it's hard to have confidence. That's what is coming. That's where. That's really where the problem is at this point, is you just can't believe that there's any that you can have confidence in this system, uh, and that really feels what's going on. All right. Uh, that's all we've got today. Let me say thank you, as always, to our great technical director, Noah. Uh, Noah Dingley keeps us on track. He's a great help there um, in the studio and cleans up when I mess up. Also, Joanna, for booking our great guests. Uh, if you have any guest ideas, feel free to email me, ed at edmartinlive.com editedmartinlive.com and uh, we will take them into consideration sometimes uh, we've gotten some great ones from people that have a good idea so feel free to send them to us and um please visit proamericareport.com, proamericareport.com. And uh, if you're at proamericareport.com, you can listen. In fact, I referenced uh, Felipe Coelho. You can listen to his uh, interview. I'll post it over there, proamericareport.com. And sign up for the daily email, which gets sent to your email box, 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time. It's uh, five days a week, Monday through Friday. What you need to know, I send it out. I will tell you, trust me, you'll enjoy it. All right, everybody, thank you again for tuning in. I will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then.